In today's episode, you know, ideally we want to make sure that the crop is actually growing before they do any spreading. So, you know, dig the spade out, excuse the pun. Now's the time really to take the time to go around your spreader, check it over, check things like bearings, make sure there's not too much play, even in terms of veins, make sure that they're not too worn, just so that you can get the, you know, the proper spread really of the fertiliser. Welcome to Cropcast. I'm Tiffany McTaggart and today we're joined by George Chalmers from SAC Consulting and Natalie Wood from Yara. I'm very excited to be talking to them today about best practice of using nitrogen efficiently this season. Hello, thank you both for joining me today. George, would you like to begin by introducing yourself? Hi, yeah, thanks Tiffany. My name is George Shammers. Uh, I work with SAC up here in Turriff in Aberdeenshire. Um, I am, my job entails working with farmers uh, around between livestock and arable and uh, various other uh, areas as well. Um, in terms of agronomy work, I walk crops and also uh, help advise farmers in terms of their nutrient requirements as well. Natalie, would you like to introduce yourself? Yeah, sure. Thanks, Tiffany. Um, so Natalie Wood, I work for Yara UK Limited. Um, I've been there about eight years. Um, I'm the agronomy operations manager, so anything agronomy kind of comes through me now. Um, that includes trials, so we do quite a lot of research, which is what I'm heavily involved with, um, you know, field trials and uh, trials that we do also with farmers, but also, um, you know, setting up the agendas for what what we're currently thinking in terms of knowledge exchange, etc. So, you know, very much on the research, development and knowledge side of things. So many farmers will be thinking about um, applying fertilisers in the coming months. So just to begin with, before they actually manage to get out the shed with some fertilisers, what sort of things should they be doing now to start preparing for spreading? Yeah, um, it's probably a good uh, six, eight weeks before people start spreading fertiliser, certainly up in the north of the country. Um, NVZ rules and that will dictate the absolute date, obviously. Um, now's the time really to take the time to go around your spreader, um, check it over, um, you know, check things like bearings, uh, make sure there's not too much play uh, and even in terms of veins, make sure that they're not too worn, just so that you can get the you know the proper spread really of the fertilizer. Um, if the fertilizer's in the shed, it can also be worth um, looking up your fertilizer settings so that you're ready to go. Um, that's important. Um, it just saves a bit of time and just make sure that you're you're able to spread correctly. Um, Taking the time now, when you have still got plenty of time, it lets you replace any parts of the spreader that uh, needs replacing and also lets you do any adjustments that, that are necessary. Natalie, do you have anything to add? Yeah, so obviously um, what George has said there is perfect in, in terms of spreader calibrations, and so that's really important. Um, you know, that's determined by the different physical properties of the fertilizer. So each time you get a new fertilizer, it's really important to calibrate it for that new product because each will spread differently. Um, and, you know, you, what you don't want is to have any unevenness or, um, you know, any variability in your spread pattern once you are actually spreading because we know, you know, fertilizers 
expensive now, so we don't want to mess anything up. So certainly, yeah, checking your, your settings are right. So how would you go about checking the calibration of your fertilizer spreader? Um, yeah, so, I mean, the settings should be on the manufacturer's website. So depending, you know, what spreader you've got, you should find the settings there. Um, and I know we've got a link to several different manufacturer's websites on the Yara website as well. So um, you should be able to find everything. I know a lot of the, the manufacturers have an app now, so that's a really easy way to quickly look up, you know, the, the product and, and find out what the settings are. Technology definitely makes things easier to do. <laughs> and George, am I right in thinking that you can use trays for testing uh, what your spread pattern is? Uh, that's right. Um, the the tray testing, in fact, that's uh, you know that should be done every year. Uh, that's a great way just to check the spread pattern is correct. Um, basically, lay out the trays, um, and then. You know, you either drive down the middle, or, or alternatively, you can you can have three passes: one at the the far end, and then one in the middle, and one at the the other end. And that suppose shows you the true um, the true spread for each family, um, and you can make adjustments accordingly. So, we'd definitely recommend people doing that. It, it, yeah, definitely need to do that. Yeah, great. So, is there anything else farmers should be thinking at, about at this stage before they've even started um, applying fertilizer? Yeah, I mean, the only thing I would say is, you know, George has already mentioned it's not going to be for a good few few weeks yet till farmers are actually spreading. But, you know, ideally, we want to make sure that the crop is actually growing before they do any spreading. So, you know, dig the spade out excuse the pun um you know and go in the field and actually dig up some of the the plants because what we want to see is those pure fresh white roots when you see those you know the crop's growing um what you don't want to do is spread when it's not growing because you're going to lose some of the product through leaching etc and it's just going to be sat there so yeah make sure the crop's actively growing first i think there is that temptation certainly in areas mm. where there is an envy said once once that closed period is up um it's fair play you get on with the, the fertilizer spreader the next morning um, just to, uh, you know, just to get on with it. And yeah, as Natalie says, if the crop's not growing, it's not going to do a lot of good, particularly if heavy rain comes um, and washes it away. It's too expensive to waste. Um, so yeah, always better waiting to make sure that the crop's growing to get the best utilization. It's the, the age old problem of seeing their neighbor go and then everybody goes mad. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> It's definitely very good advice. If we if we do have a growing crop, um, what are we going to think about nitrogen use efficiency um, for deciding what we're putting on and when we're putting it on? Yeah, I'll, I'll go with that one. So, I mean, in terms of knowing what to go on with, um, you really need to look at your crop. So if you've got a forwards crop, you might want to cut that first rate back a little bit. If you've got a backwards crop, you might want to up the rate slightly just to get it growing, um, you know, at that first application. So really, it's it's determined by what crop you've got. So there's not really a one answer fits all. Unfortunately, you're going to have to go out and have a look yourself um, again. Um, there are apps that can help. Um, I know we've got an app that can kind of judge how much nitrogen has been taken up over winter. 
Um, so you can use, t um, you know, technology like that again to help the process easier. Um, but yeah, it, it's a case of, you know, having a look using your judgment to, to see what uh, rate needs to go on because to increase your nitrogen use efficiency, it's got to be, you know, the basics, right timing, right rates, etc. So if we're looking at the very basics of nitrogen use efficiency, it's again, making sure the crop's growing, making sure you're putting on the correct rate for that time of year. That's incredible that you've now got an app that you're able to see what uptake of nitrogen there has been over the winter. I hadn't even realised that technology had got that far. Yeah, and I mean, basically, it's what it's looking at is the biomass that exists as well as the, the colour of the crop. So the, the photos that you take of the crop, it kind of compares them to hundreds of thousands of images that are on the database. And from that, it can determine you know how much nitrogen is in that crop and therefore how much it's taken up over the winter. That's pretty incredible. George, what would you think about nitrogen use efficiency? I think you've possibly as well got to take it a step back and consider, oh, yeah, as Natalie says, what's in the crop already. Um, that's going to depend, you know, completely on how, how, how it's wintered, really, the crop, if it's a winter crop. Um, what organic manures have been used? Um, what's the, the cropping history? Is out of a grass lay, for instance, that's going to be completely different. The, the residual fertility is going to be completely different than if it was following a cereal. Was it a cover? Was it a cover crop um, used? So yeah, you consider residual fertility, um, nitrogen that's there or, already, um, and also there's, there's things like the, the soil type and such like as well to be considered there. Um, because a heavier, heavier land um, is going to use is, is probably going to have a better nitrogen use efficiency that, as opposed to a, a field that is, say, sandy um, and you know prone to high rainfall. If that makes sense. Yeah. So the farmers probably got to go back and do their nutrient management plan first, and then go and tweak it depending on the year if they've got a forward or backwards crop afterwards. That that can be handy for determining the split, basically. Um, if you're going over two times, three times, or four, what have you, it can help with, with clarifying just just how much you can put on the first time. How much of an impact has the winter rainfall been on the crop, Natalie? Uh, yeah, I mean, it can have a massive impact, particularly, you know, we've had quite a lot of heavy rain since Christmas onwards. Um if the crops are tending to be sitting in waterlogged soils, it can soon start to affect the roots. Um, you know, if it's been sat there for too long, obviously there's a point of no return where the crop will will start to rot. But, uh, you know, all the roots are affected by being sat in cold, wet conditions. Um, you know, they need that air to, to be able to breathe. And if it's, if it's full of water, if the pores are full of water in the soil, then it's anaerobic. So once we get through to the spring, whilst it might look fantastic above ground, you might have lost some of the below ground growth. So it's kind of, it looks good, but actually it's not got the root system to sustain that above ground um, growth. So what we want to do really is promote that root growth as soon as we can in the spring. Um, and we know, you know, phosphate is a good way of promoting root growth. Um, so if, you know, if you're not kind of exceeding your levels of, of phosphate to apply with your manures, etc., then it might be, you know, a little bit of fresh phosphate in the spring can do the world of good for those root systems. George, do you have anything to add? Yeah, I, I agree fully with, with Natalie saying um, a wet spring, a wet, sorry, a wet winter makes, makes a big difference in terms of what's still in the ground. 
anything that impacts on routing is going to have a, a negative impact on the nitrogen use efficiency. So whether that is compaction, um, water logging, even things like take all, things like anything that affects that plant's ability to take up nitrogen is, uh, yeah, it's going to have a negative effect on the, on the nitrogen use efficiency. So it's definitely worth thinking about what weather conditions crops have had to go through to get to you applying the fertilizer yeah, yeah. beforehand. Yeah. If you've established that your crop is growing again, but you get delayed going onto the field um, for whatever reason, what sort of implication does that have on the crop going forward? Um, well, I guess it, it depends entirely on how long you know, how long that period is in between that, you know, you'd hope that um, there'll have been some mineralization, obviously, over winter to keep the, the crop going for a little while once it started regrowth. But, you know, if the weather conditions change, I was thinking back a few years ago when we had nearly 20 degrees in February, you know, a, a really strange event. But if something like that occurs, then you can soon, soon start to be in a bit of trouble, you know, if you can't get onto the field. But luckily, things like that don't happen very often. So, you know, it's still going to be relatively cold. If there is active growth, it's going to be pretty slow. So, you know, it should be, unless we're talking about weeks and weeks and weeks when you can't get on, you should be okay. Um, but, you know, that is the risk of, of spring, unfortunately. Well, we can't predict what this spring's going to be like, so no. it's just going to be a game of wait and see. <laughs> um, George, do you have anything else to add about nitrogen use efficiency? I think it's something that's come into the, the spotlight the last couple of years, just how the, the, the price of fertiliser has just rocketed. Um, uh, it's really come into people's focus. Um, the, the the way the price of cereals has gone up as well, uh, it's it's probably masking the effects because I know that we've you know our uh, nitrogen recommendations and that have been based on the the economic uh, rates and such like. Um, but it's basic. It's basically comes, but a lot of it comes down to good practice. Anything that that you can do to encourage that crop to grow better is going to improve your nitrogen use efficiency. Um, and there's a lot you can do. Uh, there's some things you can't influence. You can't influence your texture. You can't influence topography, um, and you can't influence the weather because the weather can, you know, throw a wrecking ball into the best plants. And the, uh, the anybody makes really, um, but there are a lot of things you can do. Um, basics, pH. Um, there's a scheme now allowing folk to test their soils. So there's no excuse. You know, there's no excuse there. Get the pH right. Um, sulfur. The use of sulfur. Um, it's becoming more and more evident that 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 helps with nitrogen use efficiency and also P and K, making sure that you're you're getting the right levels of P and K. Um some soils will be high in it, obviously, but certainly make sure that you're you're applying something to to just encourage nitrogen use efficiency. Sorry if I might jump in there. Yeah, um, I was just going to hark back to technology as well. You know, there's stuff out there now that makes your life a lot easier. Um, like George said, a lot is just good agricultural practice and, you know, sulfur, PK, you know, knowing your data on your own farm, but also make your life a little bit easier by using tools as well. Say at the end of the season, you know, tools that can monitor how much nitrogen is in the crop and then you can save at the end of the year. Um, but, you know, as prices have been 
horrendous. It has made people increase their nitrogen use efficiency, so every cloud has a silver lining kind of thing. But yeah, you just use everything that you can um, to try and get, you know, what the best NUE that you can. Yeah. So what about using um, like protected UE or something? Um, does that make a difference to the nitrogen use efficiency? Um, I mean, protected urea is more for emissions. So, you know, what you're doing with protected urea is is decreasing that ammonia emission. Um, personally, I don't think it helps much with the nitrogen use efficiency because, you know, what you're doing is just stopping that volatilization occurring. Um, I mean, arguably, you know, you're stopping losing some of the, the nitrogen there, but I think on the grand scheme of things, it's quite a small increase in nitrogen use efficiency. You, you'd get a lot bigger increase, for example, putting sulfur with your nitrogen each time, something like that. Um, but George, I don't know whether you you have anything to add. Uh, yeah, a lot of uh, the criticism that goes around about urea, use of urea and such like it, it is aimed at emissions. Um, I, suppose if you're, I suppose if you're protecting it from going up the way, um, Theoretically, there should be more available. Now, I don't know if there's any evidence to show that yet, but certainly uh, it's reducing the emissions. Um, I suppose one thing possibly, it, it kind of comes back to the, the types of materials you're using as well, um, and it comes down to the prill size and such. Like if you're, if you're using something like urea, it's not got quite the same density as uh, some of the other fertilizers, your ammonia nitrates and such like. Um, so you might not get it out to the same distance. If you're certainly if you're using a, a, a typical spreader, um, not much problems, you know, in, in short or medium uh, widths. But certainly out to some of the big wide widths that we see nowadays, um, it might be difficult to get a, a proper accurate spread there. So I suppose that that comes back to your uh, your, your use efficiency again. Um, by the sounds of it, that also comes back to making sure you're able to calibrate your machine correctly for the size of what you're putting through it. Yes, and and, and the, the the product as well, the effect of the product on the spread pattern. So, what sort of effect can products have on spread patterns? Um, more dense is going to spread further. Uh, one that's less dense, obviously, is not going to spread as, as far uh, around. A rounded shaped prill is going to, again, it's going to spread fine. One that's maybe a bit more angular, it will not carry carry the same. Um, and then large and small, um, a larger one will throw further again. And a smaller one, you might struggle to get out the same same width. So it's horses for courses. If you're somebody that's working smaller tram lines, you've probably got less to worry about in that respect. Um, it, and certainly in the last couple of years, we've been seeing people not necessarily getting the fertilizer they would normally buy. They've just had to take what they can get at times or, or when they've been pricing up, just um, what looks like the best deal at the time. Um, so we've talked a lot about um, the size of the granules for spreading fertilizer, but what about if people are using liquid fertilizer? Why might people use liquid over granular nowadays, Natalie? Yeah, um, you know, it's 
become ever more popular, I guess, as, as time's gone on, um, certainly um, from our point of view as well. Um, I guess the number one is accuracy. You know, you can you can apply that liquid fertilizer to a centimeter if you want to with the, some of the spread as, as sprayers that we've got out there now. Um, you know, you can swish off sections, etc. So, yes, if it's accuracy you want, then liquid would be the the option and i think that's why more and more people are are using it because of the i guess the flexibility of 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 it um but in terms of performance you know there's no difference between granular and liquid um from my point of view in terms of the the product itself um but yeah accuracy would be the number one for me in terms of why people choose it george is there any reasons why people might not choose liquid fertilizer I, th- I think it's pr- practicalities. Um, there, that that is one of the main reasons why. Um, it depends on the individual setup. Um, if you uh, certainly, I think if your farm was maybe uh, a bit more exposed, and such, so I could I could see why you'd maybe want to go down the liquid route. Um, in terms of logistics. Uh, yeah, yeah. If if you're if you're working bags, you're going to need, you know, somebody there with a loader with you to load up their your uh, fertilizer spreader. Although saying that, if you've got the setup, you can get over a massive area in a day with a you know a tractor trailer and a a loader with a with a with a with a spurker. You can get over a big big area per day. Um, some farms. The sprayer could could do both. It could uh, spray the crops and it could also fertilise the crops. Um, there's there's some the, the spray timings might dictate that the sprayer has to concentrate on spraying. Therefore, they need to be to be using a, a spreader for the for the actual fertiliser spreader. It's it's really horses for courses. Sounds like it just depends on every farm yeah. individually. Yeah. yeah, and obviously with the liquid side of things, you know, there's a bit of an infrastructure has to go in place with concrete pads and tanks and things. So yeah, it's it's yeah. it's a big mindset change. I think if somebody wants to convert across, but. Mm-hmm. It does sound like a mindset change, but I'm sure um, there's better use of shed space than loads of bags of fertiliser as well, so it could work both yeah. ways. Yes, yeah. It's definitely been noticeable over the last couple of years that farm carbon footprints need becoming more into focus. Natalie, what are your thoughts on farm emissions and fertilisers? So I think as time goes by, that's going to become ever more important to farmers. Um you know, whether they want to use things like treated urea or not, you know, they might be pushed to do that through assurance schemes, etc. So there's that. And then on top of that as well, I know I don't want to talk about carbon because it's been talked about to death, but in terms of carbon footprint, again, you know, that's going to come along. People are only going to have to reduce that more and more. So Bear that in mind as well for product choice. Some of the imports, for example, from further afield will have a, a larger carbon footprint than some of the more local, um, locally produced. So just bear that in mind going forwards. But that, you know, that CO2 footprint is everything altogether. So, you know, it's not just the abatement technology that's at factories. It's, you know, what you're actually doing on farm as well. So it's just bearing in mind, again, good, good agricultural practice. But yeah. And lots of environmental things are coming towards us at speed. So, yeah, there's there's definitely a lot um, coming forward about that now. And for all we know, in another year's time, there might be targets for farmers um, on the fertilizer front. But um, 
thinking about your nitrogen use efficiency, at least you're starting to maximize what you're getting for what you're putting on. Yeah, certainly. You know, you might be ticking off some of those boxes already by doing that now um, and getting your head around that kind of thing. And what about, what are your thoughts on if, um, because of the emissions, um, if people are having to start cutting back how much fertiliser they're applying, potentially below what's recommended, what sort of impacts does that that have on crop yields? Um, Well, I guess it depends. I mean, cutting back on fertiliser for emissions is probably not going to be the case. It's more in terms of cutting back on fertiliser because we're limited for more um, nitrogen getting into water, for example. So, um, you know, nitrates in water is is a bit of an issue. Um, In terms of cutting back, if we're talking about winter wheat, for example, you know, a minimum of 160 uh, kilograms of nitrogen, really. Once you start to go and to go below that, you start to, you know, really affect the yield. On if you look at that nitrogen response curve, it, it definitely is the first hundred, then the next sixty. But then, you know, once you start to go over that, it becomes an economic decision rather than a, a yield decision. You're still going to get a, a yield response from over that, but you know, it might not be enough to equate to how much it's cost. But that was, you know, people would have found that out last year, so. Hopefully this year it won't be too bad in terms of the economics. Um, but yeah, people have already cut back last year and will have found what the results are to that. So I think it's also important to say that the, the response curve, is, it, as it says, it's a curve. It's not linear. Um, and actually, as you approach that 160, 170 kilos, it's the actual gain is... is it, it's not as big as you think it would be, or or it should be, um, and I think that was there was bits and bobs of work being done last year on that. Um, cost nitrogen cost it's back a wee bit this year, um, but yeah, in terms of in terms of these emissions and such like, um, it's either going to be getting more from what you're putting on. Um, so increasing yield for the same rate or trying to find a way to maintain your yields by reducing just a bit in. And by doing, trying to find ways of doing things just a wee bit better, um, you know, and and in that I include, you know, even thinking a stage a stage earlier in, in the use of your cover crops, organic soil, organic matters, um, micronutrients, um, making sure they're okay and your pH is obviously that's all helping you you know improve your nitrogen use efficiency and reducing the em- the amount of emissions per unit uh, production basically per ton or per kilo however way, whichever way you want to look at that that's yeah definitely worth thinking about um but hopefully people are much more aware now of some of these things having had the prices increase so much last year i think everyone's thought a bit more about what their fertilizers they're using and how much they're using so thinking about um, having a growing crop when we're first um, applying fertilizer in the spring, what are the key timings for applications for, say, winter wheat, George? Um, in terms of winter wheat, um, well, up here, uh, tendency is not to go too early. You don't want to go too early with the winter wheat. Um, a lot depend. will depend as well on um, whether you've got on your uh, P and K. Um, it's not uncommon for 
the first nitrogen to go on is, is you know, an 8, 20, 24, 24 or something like that as part of that. Um, you're effectively killing two birds with one stone. Um, and then you, you're going to be putting it on as a crop, you know, develops, obviously. Um, I don't know, Natalie, when, when would you be saying that... Uh, uh, what's your feelings in terms of uh, how how often there can be a tendency just to go on maybe twice, three times? Yeah, yeah. I mean, three would probably be for, for oil seed, probably two, um, and then for cereals, yeah, you, you're looking at three. Um, you know, there is the work in the end to show that more applications better. You know, like a little and often approach, but. Mm-hmm. With the cost of fuel and everything, it's not really practical to go on, you know, six, eight, ten times. So, you know, three would be the norm, maybe four if you want to to do a little bit more little and often. But, yeah, it's, it mm-hmm. completely depends on workload at the time and, you know, how much you want to spend. So George mentioned about um, doing soil sampling. I know a lot of people are um, doing um, hecto or quarter hectare grids when they're soil sampling now. What about doing variable applications um, of fertilizers as well? Yeah, um, I mean, definitely it's, um, you know, proved to increase the efficiency because I essentially what you're doing is looking at the crop and judging whether it needs more or less nitrogen on specific areas. You know, so just by doing that, you're increasing the efficiency because you're putting on what the crop requires. So, you know, automatically you've increased that efficiency. Um, There's several ways to do it. Um, You can use satellite technology. So obviously, whilst that's not real time, it's not showing you exactly, you know, what's happening this day. Um, it still gives you an indication of the variability within a field and then enables you to perhaps create a map or, you know, treat each area differently. Even if you want to only be very simplistic and, and split a field into quarters even, you know, you're still going to increase your efficiency by doing that. Or if you want to go the whole hog and have some kind of tractor-mounted um, device such as the N-sensor, you know, that's the, the ultimate in terms of real-time looking at the, the crop as you're driving through it and putting on exactly what it needs. So there's various, you know, ranges that you can do, but if you want to just go into the the um, kind of variable route than something like the satellite based which is free to use you know it's a bit of an in step into doing that for the first time and then you can see how you get on with it and make it ever more complex if it works for you but it yeah it, it, you get in what you put in I guess so yeah it's as complex as you want it to be I'm assuming some of the changes within a field that you see could be to do with what the soil type is underneath yeah yeah definitely so from knowing those kind of things that you can start to treat those areas differently. So if you know that, you know, that part of the field has X soil type, you know, you need to treat it slightly differently to the rest of the field. It's just the more data you can gather for each field, the better, because you can then kind of make a bespoke solution for each field if you want to get that technical. Um, And if you kind of want to do these little marginal gains, these are the kind of things I guess that you have to do in order to increase that nitrogen use efficiency. It sounds worthwhile doing, even if a farmer just tries it out in one field to begin with. Yeah, definitely. And I mean, more times than not, you end up saving the amount of fertilizer. You might think it's going to put more on, but actually you'll find you'll probably overall end up spending a little bit less on fertilizer because it's, you know, you're putting on 
farmers always want to put on more fertilizer. I know that sounds strange, but, you know, they don't want to starve it of the, uh, as an example of what we've got a device called the end tester that gives you a recommendation. And sometimes farmers are like, oh, I don't think that's enough. I'm going to put a bit more on anyway. But if you trust into the device, you know, you'd have saved money on how much fertilizer you put on. So I think the main thing is just to trust the technology. If you're going to use it, trust what it says and, uh, you know, you're going to reap benefits then. That's definitely sounds worth trying. George, do you have anything yeah. to add? Yeah, um, I have a couple of clients who have um, have looked at um, nitrogen testing uh, technologies in the past few years. Uh, obviously, it's in our winter crops, um, the, the short growing season with the, with the spring barley, plus the fact that your, your spring barley nitrogen is going to be on very early anyway. Um, it it kind of excludes spring barley but certainly in the winter crops it, it's being looked at um usually it's kind of suggesting that they, they cut back from what they probably expected to put on and when it comes when the combine goes through it the, you know they're not disappointed with the yield at all the, the crops look fine the growing crops look fine and uh, yields good as well so they do work but i would agree with what natalie says completely that if you go down that route you have to trust in it and and just follow it all the way through George, just for the listeners who are thinking about the season ahead, what would your top tip for this year be? Be ready. Um, know what you've got in the shed. Get your spreader ready. Um, and also know what your ground is. So you use your soil results properly. Definitely good advice. Natalie, how about you? Yeah. So on top of what George has said, you know, have nitrogen use efficiency in mind with everything you do good agricultural practice goes a long way towards that you know make sure you're putting on the right product at the right time right rate etc so you know just go back to the basics um, and you know that'll go quite a long way towards increasing that nitrogen use efficiency definitely good advice don't need to overcomplicate it just do good practice yeah Thank you for joining us today and thank you to our speakers. Their knowledge is invaluable. If you're interested in the recommendations which we referred to, we're talking about the nitrogen recommendations for cereals and oilseed rape and potatoes technical note, technical note number 713. So go and have a look and consider what nitrogen you should be putting on your crops. If you've enjoyed this podcast, please like, subscribe and follow our podcasts. If you enjoyed listening to Natalie today, why not have a listen to the Yara Grow the Future podcast where she's often starring? Or why not have a listen to the Farm Advisory Service Natural Capital podcast? There's an excellent episode which came out in December about arable farms with John and Louise Seed, who are inspirational farmers who are so motivated in improving biodiversity on their farm. Thank you for listening. We'll see you again next time. The Farm Advisory Service Podcast. Audio advice on livestock, crops and soils, environment, rural business and more. Brought to you in association with the Scottish Government.